To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Hello, everybody. So good to be back. It is good to be back. And you know what? We're going to have Dr. Carl Totten back uh, a lot more uh, for sure. You know why? Because he got the COVID va- uh, vaccine yesterday. So That's right. Number one. America needs to protect its national treasures, and I think uh, Dr. Carl Totten is one of them, so it's a good thing that uh, you got the jab. Yeah. Well, my my shoulder is very sore. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it doesn't come, uh, you know, without its challenges. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But better than the alternative, however. Did you go to Dodger Stadium in uh, Los Angeles to get it done? Because I know that's where my mom went. No. I'm I'm on the board of directors of a, a non-profit um, uh, like boys' home in the San Fernando Valley, and um, they they are a site uh, since they have a lot of employees and others you know who work with uh, youth, and so being on the board of directors, they got me in there too. Awesome, and of course, I'm sure you recommend getting the shot to everybody out there listening. Yes. You know, if you look at the history of vaccinations, uh, they've saved a lot of lives over the decades. And um, I have no doubt that this will be another one of those cases as well. So how how did it feel when the microchip was going into your arm? That's where I, I, I hear the most dangerous <laughs> is the Bill Gates microchip <laughs> part yeah. of it. Well, like I said, Bill Gates is going to be awfully bored if if all he has to do is follow me around all day. <laughs> He's going to be bored to tears. You oh know. Lord, you know I, I, all, I, all this talk about Taoism. What the heck? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might find out that you know Bill Gates then becomes like the world's foremost Taoist. You know, yeah, well, and really. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, he can he can make a small donation, small for him donation to the show. You know. Uh, yes, I like that. He's got a couple billion. <laughs> yeah, I he's think got, with a billion got, we could really get this sucker going. <laughs> yeah, the whole world would definitely know what this Dow's all about then. That's right. So yes, but no. Uh, it is amazing though that like you can't just have something nice like a vaccine rollout with a, without a bunch of people. You know, there's always the people that. You know, stop progress, and it's like the people who are like anti. The, you know, Bill Gates is going to control your brain through a vaccine and all this nonsense. It's like, oh my lord. You know, I guess this is just the age we live in. Oh, it's always going to be like you know, fifteen percent of everybody that we have to drag in, into the future. You know, you know, you know about the normal curve, right? Uh, no, what's that? 
<clears throat> you know, you know how arithmetic averages are calculated. You know, like an IQ chart or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like an inverted U. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some people in the middle. There's some people at the high end, and there's some people at the low end. <laughs> and that's just the that's nor that's just the way it is. That's what they call. That's why they call it the normal curve. It's part of statistics. And uh, you know, I had to teach that for years and years. Since one of my specialties as a professor was teaching, you know, in, in psych, psychology, was teaching psychological testing. You know, oh. I, and I did, you know, I had to teach people how to give IQ tests and things like that for, you know, 20 years. And so I understand the normal curve. Well, that kind of really dovetails nicely into what we're discussing on today. And the main topic is what is normal? How about that? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about. Um, uh, we got some listener mail on chakras, and we have chapter 37 of the Tao Te Ching. Um, and the, and, well, real quick before we get into our topic here, what is normal? It always reminds me of um, there's a radio host in L.A., uh, and he used to always say, well, you know, when they do a study, 10% of people still think Elvis is alive. So you can't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's true. Like I said, you know, the curve goes from the high end to the low end. <laughs> That's just the way it is. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait for the angry listener email we get for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. Yes. Uh, so, uh, to get into our discussion about what is normal, we've got a uh, passage from Li Tzu. And for the uninitiated, Li Tzu is uh, kind of like in the third or fourth most popular book in the Taoist canon, the Li Tzu. And um, yeah, lots of his book is a lot about parables. Mm -hmm. And in Taoism, uh, there's there's kind of an idea of about how everybody is supposed to express their own inner nature. And if everybody is acting completely as individuals, therefore we're going to have a larger spectrum of what is seen as normal uh, within yes. thought, within behavior, within self-expression, within tastes uh, about things and... At a certain point, uh, I think in a perfect world where everybody's allowed to express themselves completely and completely be themselves and feel free to do so, we're going to have a lot more conflict over what is in fact normal or what's socially acceptable or what social constructs hold and which ones can we toss away when we consider the depth and breadth of you know, the, the leeway we should give to normalcy. Yes. Or whether we should even bother with calling anything or worrying if anything's normal anyway, which might be the uh, ultimate way to end up there. But let's start with the parable and then Dr. Totten as someone who studied what's normal. <laughs> uh, you, know, well, you know, I spent um, close to five years working in psychiatric hospitals with people who were far, far from normal actually, uh, certainly for a time. You know, I worked at the VA hospital, a psych psychiatric hospital. I worked in two county hospitals. I worked in a clinic. And, um, you know, norm normal, as we will find out, is a, um, it's kind of, it's like a bandwidth. You know, it's kind of like temperature. You know, what is the normal temperature, 98.6 or, or what, something like that, right? 98.6. Yeah. And, uh, you know, plus or minus, you know, a degree or, or 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 so. But if you get up to about a, you know, just a couple of degrees up there, you know, ninety nine, a hundred, hundred and one or two, 
you're not doing so well, right? And if you get up to about 105 or 6, you know, you're, if that goes on for too long, um, you're, you're, you're not going to be uh, breathing air much longer. And other way, too, if you go down to like 94, 92, whatever, you know, what they call hypothermia, that's going to do you in. You yeah. know, you know I, I was licensed as an EMT for 30 years, too. And so taking temperatures and making sure that people were in this kind of habitable, this life zone was really important. And in psychiatry, it's the same way. You know, there, there's a range of where people can meet their needs and kind of get along with others. You know, Freud said that in order to be healthy, you have to be able to work and love. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, you know. And uh, but there are challenges to some people, of course, whose behavior is so atypical. They can't love. No, you know, they, they don't get along with others. Their social relationships are challenged. And there's others who are so challenged that they really can't hold a job. Right. And so. You know, there's there's a range of the, where you can basically connect with other people uh, in the world. Again, kind of looking at that normal curve. You know, as long as you're somewhere there, more or less in the middle, you know, you're you're okay. But if you become too extreme, uh, who can really relate to you? So let's go to Lead Sue here, and he writes, Mister Pang of Chin had a son who was clever as a child, but suffered from an abnormality when he grew up. When he heard singing, he thought it was weeping. When he saw white, he thought it was black. Fragrant smells, he thought noisome. Sweet tastes, he thought bitter. Wrong actions, he thought right. Whatever came into his mind, heaven and earth, the four cardinal points, water and fire, heat and cold, he always turned upside down. A certain Mr. Yang told his father, the gentlemen of Lu have many arts and skills, and perhaps they can cure him. Why not inquire among them? So he set out for Lu, which is a, a place, right, Dr. Carl? The state of Lu, right? Wasn't mm -hmm. that a band in the 90s, the state of Lu? <laughs> Louisiana, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. The state of Lu, the, the state of mind of being Lu. <laughs> like the, those ads on Sirius XM. <laughs> Big Lu's like you. He's on yeah. meds, too. <laughs> 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 the gentlemen of Lou, so they set out to Lou to try to get him cured for being kind of in an upside down mind, right? And so uh, they took him, to, they so they took him to to Lao Tzu, and they and he said, "How do you know that your son is abnormal? Nowadays, everyone in the world is deluded about right and wrong and confused about benefit and harm because so many people share this sickness. No one perceives that it is a sickness." Besides, one man's abnormality is not enough to overturn his family, one family to overturn the neighborhood, one neighborhood to overturn the state, and one state to overturn the world. If the whole world were abnormal, how, how could abnormality <laughs> overturn it? Supposing the minds of everyone in the world were like your sons, then on the contrary, it is you who would be abnormal. Joy and sorrow, music and beauty, smells and tastes, right and wrong, who can straighten them out? I'm not even sure that these words of mine are not abnormal, let alone those of the gentlemen of Lou, who are the most abnormal of all. Who are they to cure other people's abnormality? You had better go straight home instead of wasting your money. Hmm. So it seems that when they took him to Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu kind of turned it on its head and said, you know, how do I know that I'm not abnormal judging the person who is normal? 
<laughs> you know, and in a way, is this kind of like yin and yang? Mm-hmm. Where the normal and the abnormal, like obviously we need abnormal to define normal mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. And what, so if one defines the other, the key then usually ends up being in these things, balance. Dr. Totten, do you agree? Absolutely. You know, uh, was uh, Lao Tzu uh, normal? Hardly. <laughs> True. <laughs> thank, thank goodness, right? <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> You know, so yeah, that's a great question. You know, these days, and it seems in Lao Tzu's days as well, people are often so concerned about being or seeming to be normal. You know, I remember several years ago, a person came to me woefully saying that he wished, you know, oh, he wished he could be like everyone else. That he could, he actually said, I wish I could just be normal, you know. Now, this person is actually one of the most unique and incredible persons I've ever known. He's extremely talented, he's artistic, he's caring, he's loving. I mean, he's just very special, you know, in every way. And here he is, desperately w- wishing that he could be, quote, normal. And why? You know, I, I think he perceived his uniqueness, his differences, to somehow be less than that of everybody else. You know, obviously he'd been made to feel that way by a world which is often intolerant of differences. The Taoist view is not that this being made to feel different is anything to be uh, admired, however, you know. Um, Taoists view all life as being inherently unique and worthwhile just because it's alive and unique and unlike any other, you know, viva la difference, right? As the French might say. So I immediately said to this person who told me that he just wanted to be normal, I said, no, you don't. You know, the last thing you want to be is normal. You know, normal by definition means adhering to the norm, essentially being like everyone else, you know, being in the center of that normal curve, being average. You don't want to be average. You know, what you're actually doing is bemoaning the fact that you are far from average and and due to that difference, somehow that means that you are other than and not as good as others. And I told him, you know, you're not average and you never will be. You know, your task is to accept yourself as who you are and to revel in being the unique being that you are with all of your special gifts and talents just waiting to be fully developed and then shared with the world as a gift. You know, my teacher from China, you know, the Taoist priest who taught me all, much of this um, philosophy that I, that I teach now, you know, the first day of training, he told us, first you help yourself and then you help the people. So I said, you know, let's work on getting you to help yourself through self-acceptance and self-love. And then when you feel abundant and full of life, you know, then we can see how you feel and what gifts you're going to be able to bring to the world. You know, you're among the seven or so billion people in this world. You know, you're absolutely unique. There's never been anyone else quite like you. And different doesn't mean to be less than. It means to accept our uniqueness and allow that to shine. You know, to not accept that would be kind of like looking God in the face and saying, take me back. <laughs> you know, I don't deserve <laughs> what you have created. I'm not yeah. good enough. Balderdash. 
I told him, you know, you are absolutely wonderful, literally gifted with wonder, and our task is to love that specialness and bring it to fruition. So I always tell people, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to be great. <laughs> Anything else is unacceptable. Such is the way of the Tao. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you know, reading this, I found that there's one, one thing that really stuck out, and that Lao Tzu says, because so many people share this sickness, no one perceives that it is sickness. <laughs> and it's kind of this idea that, you know, there are many social constructs that we all buy into, that we all created as humans, and it doesn't necessarily, just because we all created this construct, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily right or that we should pay attention or care about it. I feel like this is like the exact, uh, it's a very early idea that's postmodern in saying that if we all share this sickness, no one perceives it as a sickness. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think there are many things that in today's world that we, that maybe everybody shares as a viewpoint that we all just collectively created that may not be right or moral, uh, but we all just take it as a given. You know, mm -hmm. and we don't challenge these things. And I think lots of times in here, uh, this this child who had these problems was actually challenging uh, a lot of societal norms. And mm -hmm. it takes these abnormal people that challenge these societal norms uh, that that push the world forward. You know, it's like in that way, it's like Martin Luther King was an abnormal human being, mm -hmm. you know, because he sat and he pushed and he challenged these things. Mm hmm. And like I like I mentioned, uh, I'm I'm sure Lao Tzu was far from normal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. The, the Buddha was far from normal. Yeah. Jesus Christ, far from normal. Yeah. In fact, look what they did to him. You know, he right. He, he, he challenged the norms so much they couldn't take it. Um, and and yet, you know, all of these individuals had an inner compass. I think that allowed them to very deeply feel what was right in the sense of being correct and what was wrong in the sense of it harming people and not being in people's uh, best nature. You know, this whole thing about people being able to find, you know, the, what was it, Abraham Lincoln, about finding our better angels, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, because we have so many different things that can influence us and send us in a particular direction. But... The things that are going to elevate ourself and, and at the same time elevate all of humanity, those have a particular flavor to them. And if you get too caught up in, I think, in, your, in our minds and in terms of what's logical, uh, then what's logical can seem to some people as being inherently very selfish because it will bring great gain to them or their side, you know, they they will have all the marbles to play with, you know, they will have all the privilege to adhere to and to make their lives very comfortable at the expense, of course, of everybody else, mm -hmm. you know. And so the great teachers are the ones, I think, who see that very clearly and who and who call out individuals or societies that have lost their way, that have lost that internal compass about what really is right and wrong. Yeah. And, and I think also this, this point, this, this thing points out to the kind of the relativistic nature of life that uh, Taoists see. You know, um, 
there there's basic moral precepts in it, you know, like the three treasures that we've talked about. Uh, but that also everything is kind of relative. And who's to say what tastes good and what doesn't taste good? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, who's to say, you know, and when it comes to right and wrong, there's a lot of social constructs when it came to morality of things that 50 years ago we now find abhorrent. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, you know, slavery was legal. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You know, and supported by the state. Yeah. You know? And escaped uh, slaves or, or protecting slaves who had escaped well, was considered to be abhorrent and illegal. And yeah. uh, a lot of uh, what eventually developed into modern uh, police departments actually started out as pe- as kind of a posses that were put together to bring back runaway slaves. Yeah. Know? And uh, that legacy is again a lot of the things that we see echoes today with all the concerns about you know police brutality towards people of color and things like that and um so you know we we need to yeah we we do have this notion about uh things being relative you know we we know high because of low we know inside because of outside but at the same time there's a there's an internal compass that each of us I think needs to find because the Tao the great Tao is trying to create uh, a universe of abundance for everyone because the guiding principle of life is life <laughs> you know and life deserves to live you know in in a in a state of what what is it life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that is an ideal which unfortunately as we all know our country our dear country has not always lived up to and with that uh we'd like to move on to the next part of our show where we're going to discuss some listener mail uh but before we get into that uh, i'd like to everybody to know that there are two ways you can support the show the first is by uh, donating uh, $35 on our uh, website at whatsisdow.com. We have a PayPal donation link. And for $35, you get to help support what we do to keep the lights on here at the show. And uh, you get three guided meditations by Dr. Totten and a never-heard-before episode about finding your own special talents in life. And uh, that's about, I'd say, about uh, just about two hours worth of audio and uh, in that meditation, you'll learn how to get to the sacred space of the heart that Dr. Totten talks about. Yes. Uh, that's another way to support the show is we have a second show available through Patreon.com. And that is called The 10,000 Things. And already, what do we have, four or five episodes up of that? I um, think so. Yeah. And uh, we just put up one on uh, Ho'oponopono, which is uh, Dr. Totten has studied this Hawaiian way of uh, spiritual cleansing. And we talk about that. On the most recent episode, you get one episode a month that is a kind of a, it seems like a sister show to what's this Tao all about, where we talk to things that aren't, uh, talk about things that aren't necessarily Taoist, but kind of have been brought up on the show. Um, and we also, we have blogs on there. I put up one the other day about hip pocket Taoism, about uh, <laughs> some ideas that I carry around my, with myself every day to make it through the day and uh, <laughs> try to stay on the path a bit. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Totten has uh, put up some blogs there so you get some blogs and it's just a 5.99 a month you just go to what uh patreon.com p a t 
R-E-O-N.com slash what's this DAO all about. And also there's a link on our website. It's like donate slash Patreon. Click there. You can get through there. And um, we've had some people join up and uh, they're telling us nice things about it. Actually, the person who wrote this listener mail is uh, wrote it to us on Patreon. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So and it's been fun, uh, Doctor Totten, doing the Patreon show with you because we're getting to expand what we talk about, which is always great. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Patreons, again, if you're listening, uh, Bill Gates, <laughs> feel right. free, feel free to chime in, a, chip in a few bucks there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say chip? <laughs> in a few bucks, Dr. Totten? Is that, are you communicating to him now? Is that what's up? Ah, uh, levity. Uh, isn't it great? <laughs> Jeff Bezos, too, anybody. <laughs> yeah, any of those guys you know, yeah. with the deep, the deep pockets. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and the email goes, Hello, Dr. Todd. <laughs> Dr. Todd. <laughs> uh, we got to send quite. you back to school all the time. <laughs> I got a bachelor's degree that took me eight years. Yeah. Not quite. Well, they said, Todd, you should have been a doctor the amount of time you spent in college. So. <laughs> but, you know, the reason why I stayed so long in college is I was having fun doing lots of things that made me better understand the Tao. <laughs> so, hello, Todd and Dr. Todd. Just want to say thank you both for your work on What's This Tao All About, as well as the new resources here at 10,000 Things. I found both to be incredibly beneficial and helpful and fun. I do have a topic I'd be very interested in hearing you explore someday, as I only know a little bit about it, and that's chakras and how they're utilized in mindfulness and well-being practices. I personally know only a little about chakras, but I've started using them as a structure for some of my meditation. So, uh, Dr. Totten, and uh, it's a user who goes by the name of Great Divorce, which I (laughs) find very interesting to know what that means. So, Dr. Totten, I also know very little about chakras. Um, So, could you just kind of give us a a basic once-over on what they are so when we hear people talking about chakras, you know, we all all know what's up. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, Western way of looking at the body in terms of a physiological system terms of an anatomical system uh, is one thing, but in the East, they look at everything from the common base of energy, that everything, including the human body, exists as a field of interconnected and interrelated fields of energy. The, uh, in Hindu, they, talk, and they call that what prana, and the Chinese call it uh, qi. And sometimes in the West, it's been, in Western mysticism, it's been called things like uh, uh, intrinsic energy or the, the, the vital energy. Uh, you know, you might see people like even Plato, you know, talking about things like that. So, but, and so chakras are energy fields, which in Chinese is called dan dian, which means a field of elixir. And these are energetic areas within the body. And shamans from all different cultures around the world feel that, all, that everything in existence is composed of energies. And the human body, besides being composed of different energetic fields, is surrounded by an energy field which holds or contains the physical body. Now, when this energy field that's around the body is well-balanced and strong, our health tends to be good, and our immune system tends to be very stable. But if this field is porous or weak or out of balance, 
then disturbances from outside the field can weaken or unbalance the entire system. And the shamans and other indigenous kind of like medicine women, medicine men, feel that this field of energy around the body, sometimes people in the West here have called that the human aura, you know, this field of energy around the body. Mm-hmm. They say that that field is connected to the human body at chakra points, at special energy points within the body, which are further connected to our internal organs. So and, it's like when you, oh, sorry, real quick. Mm-hmm. So it's like for the uninitiated, so, you know, they, they have these uh, always maps of the body and you see just like dots over, you know what I'm saying? They, they have like the guy in the meditation kind of pose and they show the different dots in the body and those, those, in those diagrams and that would be like a chakra, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them are chakras, and if it's Chinese, of course, some of them might be acupuncture points. Okay. Uh, because in acupuncture, you know, the, re- the way that it's conceptualized to work is that the energy, which is constantly circ- circulating throughout the body, has gotten stuck somewhere or stagnant, you know, or out of balance. And the reason the acupuncturist is putting in those needles or giving you an herb or doing moxibustion or anything else is to clear up that block and get the energy flowing freely in the body again because that leads to good health. Whereas when it's blocked, stagnation is always felt to lead to impairment, illness, disease, and ultimately death. Mm. So to ensure healthy physical and emotional functioning, any blocks in the system need to be cleaned and any energetic attachments need to be released and the chakras themselves need to receive kind of a periodic illumination in order to remain strong and to perform their functions correctly Um, and if uh, any of our listeners have ever heard of or gone to someone trained in something like reiki uh, that's what they're doing you know you know they're using the energy of, uh, you might say, of the universe and helping to focus that into these spots in the body so that the energy can flow freely. And many yogic, shamanic, and martial art and meditation systems have various methods to accomplish this. Qigong and yoga, for example, are specifically designed to do just this, with overall internal strength and balance being the goal as a way to ensure good health, longevity, and positive emotional health. So one of the things that Taoist practitioners do is to practice qigong and meditation in order to keep all of these internal areas strong, well-balanced, and properly circulating, uh, while at the same time making sure that the external field around the body is a form of protection and as well as energetic engagement with the environment. You know, have you ever walked into a room and you just felt a bad vibe? Yes. Yeah. See, that's what we're basically talking about. You know, we, we you know, the Chinese say we live in, they call it a sea of chi. You know, the entire universe is like this ocean of energetic connection. By the way, uh, uh, physics, quantum mechanics agrees, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this whole universe is this giant matrix of interconnected, a field of, of different t- forms of energy. 
and what affects one part of the field can affect the another part, even though they're not physically near each other, right? You know, if Einstein himself had a, you know, he, he was so baffled by that, he recognized that it existed, but he caught it, and I quote, spooky action at a distance, yeah. end quote. <laughs> I, I, I read some uh, scientific paper, and they were postulating that um, it was like how quantum mechanics relates to how birds travel. Hmm. And there was and and how like birds can commute like find long distances and stuff. And they said there was something about how possibly um, the birds had something to cue into the Earth's magnetic field and use that as a map to kind of navigate from place to place. Mm -hmm. That's why you know a, a bird can go from you know Australia to England. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and and back and find the exact same spot or whatever. Amazing. Um, yeah, really incredible. It's un unbelievable. And they said that because it, it could be because of this type of connection, which, you know, if you, I'm sure if we go a step further, and you know way more about this stuff than I do, but, you know, obviously, and humans are probably maybe, you know, connected to the same field and um, can, you know, pick up on very mm -hmm. subtle energies and, mm -hmm. Yeah, rooms and people, right, and you right. know, especially if we're sensitive to that, or we've trained to do that. One of the exercises that I often train people to do in meditation is simply that: simply to walk into a room and just be quiet, try to stop thinking so much, and just take in the room. What does it? It's called ambiance. What is the ambiance or emotional tone or feeling in the room itself? Without labeling it, because that will narrow it, just notice that the room feels like eh, that feeling. And, and just notice that, because that is a way to really bring us fully present into the present moment, which, of course, in studies like Zen and Taoism, is a, a lot of what the practices, whether it's you know, yoga or meditation or mindfulness, or the uh, Zen koans or whatever, is really trying to do. It's trying to allow us to awaken, to be fully present to our fully, our fully developed potential moment by moment by moment. And just by tuning in to, that, to the feel uh, in the room and, very important, noticing the change when you go from one room or one environment to another, this is an outstanding practice to sensitize one to these quantum states of awareness and consciousness. And I've been a, really interested in this for a long time. In fact, I w actually wrote my doctoral dissertation in clinical psychology on meditation and altered states of consciousness. Yeah. So. You know, it's, it's funny here. You're talking about, um, about you know, going in and feeling a room. And it's also the same thing with people. I remember I used to work with a guy, and he was nice. Like, you know, there wasn't anything off-putting about him, but it was a weird thing that every woman, I mean, that worked around him, no matter what, uh, like, they would always be like, what's up with him? Mm. I don't, like, they, he, there was an energy about him that, you know, the two two women can meet this guy and then not talk to each other or whatever, but still come back going, there's a there's a bad vibe. At independently, more than a few women at, at the workplace would say, "What's up with him?" Because there was just a weird energy. Now, personally, like I would just be, 
you know, nice to him, friendly, or whatever, as a coworker, and he was nice and everything, but evidently there's something that women felt when they were around him that was just not right, you know? Mm. Um, and there's other, you know, there's other people, you know, in life where it's like, you know, there's a party and certain people are there and the next day people go, what was up with that guy? Right. You know, right? Like there's some people that carry the bad vibe with them and... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the hippies used to say, you know, where are you coming from? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and, and you can just feel that some people, there's something about them, probably something that they might be carrying in their shadow, you know, the disowned, unaccepted, unloved, the shameful, guilty parts of themselves. They're, they're carrying that around like baggage, and other people can feel it even though they think it's hidden in their shadow. And, um, you know, these people really need, um, you know, they, they need help. You know, they need some um, therapy and some to learn about mindfulness, you know, to learn how to, again, turn that light around, uh, that light of self-awareness around and actually take a look at their functioning and, uh, you know, kind of root out some of their, the, the, their demons, you might say, uh, and uh, learn how to be uh, how to engage uh, with life in a more balanced and wholesome uh, manner. So now, oh, real quick, before um, we move on to the next bit, uh, when it comes to chakras, is there anything, if people want to get like a chakras 101 book, like a great, great place to start to learn about that? I think there's a famous book called, I think, Chakras or the Chakras, by Ledbetter, <laughs> right, who was one of the uh, kind of mystery school writers about a century ago. But I think he wrote a classic, I think, called Chakras or the Chakras, which has been a kind of a standard for a long time. And uh, I, I uh, of course, prepared a, a lot of uh, information and charts about the chakras for this um, uh, program. And uh, you can put uh, one of those chakra charts up uh, on, in the... Um, um, and the resources, uh, if if you like, yeah, sure thing, no problem. Because so any oh. anytime anyone walks into an acupuncturist, you know, a Chinese doctor, a practitioner of Chinese medicine, that they, they are looking at you with 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 eyes that are designed to be aware of where these energy fields are, because all literally all the work that they're going to do. And, and remember, Chinese medicine has been doing this for, what, 4,000 years? You know, yeah. They're pretty good at it. <laughs> All the work they're doing is about working with these energetic fields within the body. Everything that they do, uh, they have that in mind, first and foremost. So in terms of all the countries of Asia, th this is just standard treatment. Th this is the norm. Now let's move on to Chapter 37 of the Tao Te Ching. Ah, yes. Uh, here we go. A, a wonderful one. The Tao abides in non-action, yet nothing is left undone. If kings and lords observed this, the 10,000 things would develop naturally. If they still desired to act, they would return to the simplicity of formless substance. Without form, there is no desire. Without desire, there is, no, there is tranquility. And in this way, all things would be at peace. Hmm. You know, often it certainly does seem that much of the disharmony and violence in the world stems from trying to do so much. So Lao Tzu is counseling 
non-action. And as a result, nothing is left undone. It seems paradoxical. Now, politicians, you know, what he calls kings and lords, rarely mm -hmm. do this. And as a result of all of their interference, the ten, in, the 10,000 things often do not develop naturally. And in place of naturalness, you know, we've seen what? Wars, slavery, invasions, forced migrations, uh, poverty, discrimination, colonialism, and a myriad of other sins for thousands of years. In contrast, Lao Tzu says that without these forms of desire, there would be tranquility and peace. By trying to do, do, do so much in the material world, you know, we seem to throw our inner timing out of sync and impose external pressures on others that create resistance and pushback, often resulting in systemic violence, wars, and oppression. So perhaps by simply aligning with nature and allowing things to develop naturally, as Lao Tzu says, we would have a more peaceful and sustainable outcome as a result. And we could certainly hardly do worse than we've done for the past millennium. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know the, the last millennium of human existence, you know, you know, the way that we actually measure history uh, in, you know, in world history or U.S. history is pretty much from conflict to conflict, from war to war, from invasion, uh, overthrow, uh, some form of societal violence to another. And that's pretty much how all of history has been measured. So, you know, all of this trying to interfere and do things to the natural balance inherent in nature hasn't really worked out that well. Well, it's funny if we see this, uh, thinking about normalcy, as we were talking about earlier, this conflict to conflict way of viewing the world is a sickness that we have seen as normal and that yes. is acceptable and that you know when someplace gets bombed on the news uh i think 99 percent of everybody has a certain baseline tolerance for it yes you know which is obviously a sickness in, in a very big way and people who step up and say no this is wrong are kind of are, are looked at with a certain amount of scorn in many circles. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, again, why, you know, it's, it's what's, what's normal, what's acceptable uh, many times should not be. Uh, I also see in here, the, you know, Lao Tzu says, without form there is no desire. And that's pretty heavy because in the beginning of, of the Tao Te Ching, it seems like, you know, the formless that we have, which is the kind of incorporate, the, you know, the Tao in its entirety... Uh, is everything kind of working together? But the 10,000 things, the things we begin to start labeling, is when we start putting form to things and separating them from one another. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of saying when you're looking, again, it, it goes back to of another way of looking at the idea of when you're in this formless, natural harmony of the Tao, there's no desire because you already have everything. You're already in the moment. You're already fulfilled. But it's when you start putting forms out there is when you start in, in separation is when you start having the desire, which yes. then leads to disharmony. Yes, yes. Because then people are going to try to do what? Fix it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, 
and of course, there. What's what's the motivation for that? Is it for the greater greatest good for the greatest number, or is it what's in it for me? Yeah. And if they are a president, a king, a prime minister, uh, <laughs> uh, an, an emperor, uh, you can pretty much guess where, where that's going to come down. You know. Oh yeah. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of What's This Dow All About. Uh, please leave a review uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show because that always helps us. And uh, I mean, obviously, if it's going to be a positive review, not one of these uh, two-star reviews. Right? <laughs> five five the- stars. Uh, please leave us a review. That'd be great. Follow us on Twitter at What's This Dow Podcast. Um, and we have a Facebook page. If you look around there, listener group. And that's about it. Or just, you know, hang out and listen. Whatever. <laughs> The Thou provides and everything furthers.